So we're going to take a little detour tonight uh, in the in the study. We're going to stay in John, um, but this is the one passage that we're going to discuss that doesn't have a sign in it. Um, you know, Ryan preached a couple weeks ago on the walking on the water, and then last week we were able to talk about the feeding of the five thousand. Everything about the ministry of Jesus changes now, right? The whole entire dynamic of what takes place in Jesus' ministry now completely changes. The focus changes, right? Because once you get through, once you get through uh, the bread of life sermon that Jesus preached after the feeding of the five thousand, here's what you find: people quit following Jesus, right? John six sixty six, right? Said that. After that teaching, many of his disciples left and stopped following him and didn't follow him again, right? All of a sudden, the focus of the ministry of Jesus isn't toward the people, it's to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the focal point of Jesus' journey because he has a job to do. Along that way, tensions increased mightily between him and the Jews. You can read it in chapter 7, you can read it in chapter 8, and next week we're going to read about it in chapter 9, right? All of a sudden, the tension increases. And chapter 8 covers a lot of that conversation. So what I want to do is I want to do something a little different tonight. What I want to do is I want to walk through this conversation and make some observations, right? Without preaching. I never used to be the kind of person that could make observations and have a conversation without preaching. I was always the guy that preached when I had a conversation, right? Because even in my conversations, I was probably right, so I needed to communicate it that way. Can anybody, anybody here relate to that, right? Yes. I've learned, I'm learning, and I continue to learn that at the older I get, not everybody needs a sermon all the time. That sometimes people just need a conversation in a place where they can enter into enter into it, right? I want to do that tonight. And what I want you to do is I want you to go with me on this journey because at the end, I'm going to make an observation that some of you are going to have a hard time with. Because when I say it, you're going to go, no, 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 no. Nope, nope. I'm writing a letter to the elders. He needs to be fired. I know. Listen, I've done this a long time and I know that that's going to be your initial reaction. For some of you, right? For some of you, it'll be like, I've been waiting for 30 years for somebody to say that in church, okay? I just want you to go with me on this conversation. And then I want you to consider the ask. Because honestly, we're losing the fight, people. We're losing the fight for people, right? We're losing the fight as we try to get people to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the fight we're here to fight. And I want to I want to build toward this ask at the end just by walking through this passage with you. So we're in John chapter 8 and we're going to start at verse 48. I'm just going to ask you to stand out of respect for the word of God and we're going to read these 11 verses together. And then we're just going to walk through some observations. And I'm also going to tell you that you know when we came back out of out of Christmas break, I just sort of threw the promise that I made last year out the window that we were going to be done at 7:30 because I wanted to do that. I sort of tossed that out the window. I've been I've been reconvicted by the Holy Spirit to get back at that, and so I'm going to work at at doing that. Um, and so uh, tonight, some of you may be glad when this is over. Anyway, here's the conversation. Here's the way it goes. The Jews answered him. Now, this is the end of a lot of back and forth for two chapters, 
Okay, lots and lots of words. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking my glory or I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think that you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, I would be a liar just like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they exclaimed. The Jew said to him, and you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. You guys can be seated. And listen, when you read chapter 7 and chapter 8 together, right? I mean, listen, it's a pretty intense conversation that is honestly at times sort of comical as you watch it. So let me just make three observations out of the text. First, I want to I make the observation about the progression in the conversation. How many of you have ever gotten into a debate with somebody? Anybody in here ever gotten into a debate, Right? You've presented your, this is what I believe statement, right? And then the other person presents their, this is what I believe statement, right? Anybody's ever been in that conversation, right? You're at odds, right? This person believes this and this person believes that, right? And here's what tends to happen. First, the conversation is intellectual. Right? It is a debate about ideas. I have these debates with my staff here on a regular basis. If you've had a teenager in your life as a parent, you've, you've had these conversations, right? If you've been in a relationship with somebody of the, of, of, of whether they're friends or whether they're not friends, right? You've had these conversations. It's an intellectual conversation about ideas. And then, How many of you have been in a conversation where the intellectual debate doesn't resolve it? Anybody been in that conversation? Right? Once it gets to an intellectual level that's not solvable, it becomes emotional. Right? It becomes stupid. Right? But it becomes emotional. Now all of a sudden, it isn't about my stance. It's about my feelings of how I feel about my stance. And what was simply an exchange of ideas now has taken root as an emotional conversation. Anybody been in an emotional conversation? Right? Those generally go well. Right? Those generally tend to go well for people. Right? And here's the thing. Most emotional conversations 
are rarely resolved. Because once it's a debate, a debate about ideas, it's simply an object of discussion. I believe this and you believe that. I believe this iced coffee is better and you believe that iced coffee is better, right? And we can't resolve it. Now I'm emotional, right? Now I'm emotional. And you know what happens every time a conversation and a debate turns emotional? It gets personal. Been on the receiving end of that? Because now it's no longer about ideas. It's about name calling. It's about verbal abuse, right? It's about you attacking the character of the other person and that person attacking you. How many of you have been in that conversation? Yeah. Some of you are like, I'm not answering that question. We were in that conversation on the way to church today, right? Listen, a debate about ideas can quickly turn into an emotional exchange which can ultimately lead to a personal attack and at times, when the attack becomes personal enough, it turns physical, right? It turns physical. That's what happens in the conversation with Jesus and the Jews. It was a debate about ideas. Listen to these verses in 12 through 20 of, in chapter 8 earlier in the passage. It says, Jesus spoke again to the people and here was his, here was his idea. Here's, here's his stance. I am the light of the world, right? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, right? Here's their exchange. Pharisees challenge him, right? Here's their challenge back. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Now here's their exchange of ideas, right? Jesus says, I'm this. And they're like, listen, you're, you're the only person who's testifying to yourself, Right? Like, do you get how dumb that is? So we got this exchange of ideas. Your testimony is invalid. Right? That's like you telling somebody in a conversation, I'm a great person. Right? Well, you're the only person saying it. That's not valid. Right? I only know you're a great person if somebody else testifies to that. That's what they're saying to Jesus. I'm the light of the world. And they're like, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard because you're the only witness to that story. Right? Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, so the conversation continues, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. Listen to what he says. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. Can you feel it begin to change? I'm the light of the world. No, you're not, because that's a dumb testimony. You're the only person. And now Jesus says, you don't have any idea where I'm from. Feel it? You can feel the intensity rising. You judge now. Now he's you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. That's not a nice thing to say to people, right? You're a judgy judge, 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 and I'm not, right? But if I do judge, Jesus says, my decisions are right because I'm not alone. I stand with the father who sent me in your own law. It's written that the testimony of two men is valid. He says, I'm one who testifies for myself and my other witness is the father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You don't know me or my father, Jesus replied. You feel the intensity, right? If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. 
listen to this, yet no one seized him because this time had not yet come. It hadn't gotten physical. You can go throughout, listen, you can read this, this dynamic throughout the conversations that Jesus has with the Pharisees as it builds to the point of crucify him, crucify him. This intellectual exchange of ideas. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the resurrection of life. I'm the way, the truth, the life. Jesus making these declarative debate, these debate ideas. And the Pharisees saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. And then it becomes emotional because you can, listen, you can read the text. You can feel it without even knowing the original language and the words that are being used. You feel the intensity rise to an emotion. Right? And then when it becomes emotion, it becomes, you're demon possessed and a Samaritan. Right? It becomes personal. And then when you read the end of John chapter 8, they pick up stones to kill him. Right? That's an observation in the text that I want you to see. Here's another one I want you to see. I want you to see the point of this whole conversation. How many of you have ever had a debate with somebody and about 15 minutes into it, you're like, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Right? The point gets lost. Right? So what's the point of all of this exchange? This is what I think the point is in this exchange. Listen to these verses in chapter, or in verse 42 and 40 through 45. Same chapter, John 8. Jesus said to them, if God were your father. Now listen, we've, we've escalated the conversation. Right? We've gotten to an intellectual debate that's become emotional and full of name calling, right? The Pharisees are like, you're a demon possessed guy. Aren't we right in saying you're demon possessed and you, and you're a Samaritan, right? If God were your father, Jesus said, you would love me for I came from God and now am here. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? He's talking to the Pharisees, right? These people who claim their relationship with God based upon their descendancy from Abraham and the circumcision and the keeping of the law and the sacrifices. They claim to be God's people in a relationship with God, speaking on God's behalf. And Jesus says, why is what I'm saying not clear to you? Because, listen to this, because you are unable to hear what I say. Now it gets really intense. And this is the point of this conversation. He says to them, you belong to your father. Who did they claim as their father? Abraham, which meant they were gods. Abraham was our father, right? He's the father of the Jewish nation. God chose him out of Ur to make this great nation. And we are his physical descendants. God has given us Abraham as our father, which means God, you're our God. Jesus says, you belong to your father, the what? The devil, right? Those aren't nice words. Those are fighting words, right? He says, you belong to your daddy, the devil. And listen to this, it's not, that's not bad enough. He says, you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer. Now, now, now he's going after his dad, right? Your dad's a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the what? Truth. Everybody say truth, right? It's a big point we're going to get to here, right? Not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. Because when your daddy lies, he speaks his native language for he is a what? Liar. And he's not just a liar. He's the what? He's the 
force that created lies in the first place. He says, yet because I tell the what? You don't believe me. See, here's the point of the conversation to me. The point of all of this back and forth, intellectual, emotional, personal, and ultimately leads to physical is to get this out. There are two, two opposing forces in this world. There are two, right? And Jesus says, my father who sent me is one of them. And that's truth. Your father who sent you is the other and it's lies. You got that? He connects, listen to this, he connects the false religion of Judaism to Satan and these people carrying out that desire. Their religion is a false religion founded on the desires of the devil himself. And what is that? That they want to keep people in bondage to their own sinfulness without finding a way out of it. Therefore, you have the law, right? You have sacrifices. Judaism didn't offer a path to redemption. Judaism offered a path to knowledge of my sin. The Pharisees promoted, promoted the false religion of Judaism saying, it's the way to God. Get circumcised, be a descendant of Abraham and keep the law. Can anybody keep the law? No. All it did was keep people in bondage to their sin. And guess whose desire it is to keep people in bondage to sin? It's whose? It's the devil's. The whole focus of every false religion is to carry out the desires of their dad. And Satan's behind every one of them. Because every religion that doesn't lead to the freedom offered in Jesus, I'm going to say this, is false religion. All of them, right? Because any religion designed to keep you entrapped in your sinfulness, that's the desire of the devil. That's not God's desire. God's desire is for all people to come to repentance, right? So that they don't perish. That's not the desire of the devil. The point of the whole conversation was to make that statement. You are of your dad and I am of mine. Your dad's a liar, a murderer, and he is the father of that. And my dad sent me to glorify me for himself. And that's truth. That's the point of the conversation. Now, here's the last observation. The last observation is the promise. So we've got this progression, right? A debate, intellectual, emotional, personal, physical. We've got this, we've got the point of this conversation, two sides, your dad and his followers, and that's lies. My dad and me and the truth. And here's the promise made in the midst of all of that. Listen to what uh, John 49 through, or 48 through 51 say. Listen, can you picture the intense conversation that's happening when Jesus calls their dad, not Abraham, but Satan, and then says, your dad's a liar and a murderer, and all you are is carrying out his desires? Can you feel the heat and the intensity of that conversation? Can I get a yes? Right? That's what's happening here. Here's what Jesus says in the midst of this. Jews answered to Jesus. Now, aren't we right 
in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed. Now they're just asking the question. Later on, they say, now we know, right? He says, I am not possessed by a demon. He said, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. This is the promise. I'm not seeking your glory. I am not seeking glory for myself. I'm not in this so that I can be heralded as this great guy. Man, Jesus is awesome, he says. But there is one who does seek it. He's in it because God is seeking the glory of Jesus, right? He's the one who wants Jesus to receive glory and honor because Jesus ultimately will become King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He will be the one who receives the glory. God's behind that, not Jesus, right? And so he says... And he, God, is the what? Everybody say it. He's the judge. A little bit of a little bit of a dig there to let them know, right? Now listen, listen to the promise. In the old King James, it says, truly, truly, right? 25 times he uses the phrase truly, truly in the Gospel of John, right? He's, he's gonna lay down a heavy truth. So I tell you the truth. If anyone Everybody in here and online say anyone, right? That means everyone, right? Even these nasty, hateful, daddy-honoring Pharisees who want to promote a false religion to keep people captive. He says, if anyone keeps my word, he will what? He will never see, meaning he will live for how long? Which means he'll be saved. And in the midst of this, who did Jesus offer it to? Everyone and anyone. Listen, there ain't nothing exclusive about Christianity. Except who the Savior is. Everything else about Christianity is the most inclusive religion in the entire world. Is it, is it, is it exclusive because it has one way to God? Absolutely. But do you know who can get, who, who, who can get in on it? Everybody. Anyone. It's quite a promise, isn't it? Listen, man, I missed, I missed some of those verses, didn't I, David? Okay. Okay. Hang on. Right. I, w- I want to read a couple of verses to you to clarify the point of the conversation real quick. Right. Remember the, comp- the point? There's your dad and my dad and he's a liar and my dad's truth and you're following him and I'm following. Everybody remember that? Listen to the Genesis 315. Very first, very first prophecy in the Bible. Most important prophecy in the Bible because it sets the tone for the entire big picture that we're talking about, right? Here's what he says. Satan has tempted Eve, who's tempted Adam. They've eaten the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God's like, I got to kick him out. So he kicks him out and he has this conversation with Satan. Here's what he says. I'm going to put enmity, friction, right? I'm going to put this knowledge that we're not on the same team. He says, between you, Satan, and the woman. And then between your offspring and hers, her offspring, right? Flesh or uh, your offspring, the Pharisees. Remember, he's your dad. You're their followers, right? So you're doing your daddy's bidding. You're, you're, you're the offspring, Jesus says, of Satan. And between hers, well, who's her offspring? He, everybody see that word? He, he says her offspring. And then he narrows it to one person. He, who is that? He come on. Who is it? Jesus. So he says, he is going to crush your head. 
you know what happens to a human being who has their head crushed? They die. Right? So it's a figure of speech that Satan's going to kill him. Or that Jesus is going to kill him. Bring that back up, would you, David? He says, he's going to crush your head and you're going to strike his heel. From the very first prophecy, you know what we found out? Here's the point. There are two sides. There are two. There's, a, there's, a, there's an enemy who wants to be God. And then there's my guy who's going to come and destroy you. And God went, bring it on. Right? And listen, listen, listen to, uh, go to Revelation 12. Skip that Matthew passage, go to Revelation 12. This is a synopsis of the entire Gospels. Here's what he says in Revelation 12. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. What was the sign? A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth, describing the nation of Israel. Okay, if you want to study Revelation, he's referring to the nation of Israel here, right? The woman is a nation because the 12 crowns represent the 12 tribes, right? And she's pregnant. Guess who she's pregnant with? Then another sign in, appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on his head. Ooh, scary, right? His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, flung them to the earth, and the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, remember Israel, so that, she, so, so that he, that's the dragon, might devour her child the moment it was born. You see, in heaven, this played out this way. This nation that we know boils down to one girl is about to give birth to the guy who I'm going to fight. So if I can devour him out of the womb, I can win the fight before this thing ever happens. So in the heavenly realm, Satan is already, is already aware that, that Jesus is common because he was told by God. And so Satan decides to go to the source and destroy it. And so in the heavenly perspective and reality, this dragon represented by Satan, right, is there to go, I'm going to devour this child upon its birth. What does it say? She gave birth to a son. A male child is who? Jesus, right? Heaven talks about it in the realm of Israel. The gospels talk about it in the realm of Mary, right? She gives birth to a son. What happened? A male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The entire gospels are covered in one verse. He lived and died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven. And God snatched him up into heaven. Because where's Jesus today? He's sitting, 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 seated on his throne. One verse. The woman fled to, into the desert, Israel, into the desert, to a place prepared for her by God. Where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And that refers to the tribulation. Okay. Listen, this conflict between, between Jesus and Satan has been going on since the beginning. You get this, right? You hear what I'm saying? In Genesis 3.15, God said, I'm going to fight you. Because I'm sick and tired of you trying to be God. You already tried to overthrow me in heaven. And we fired you from your job as the worship leader and caretaker. You know, we're done with you, right? And Satan went, well, I'm not done with you because I still want to be God. So he went after God's image bearers in the garden and he tempted them. And guess what? They obtained the knowledge of God, the knowledge of good and evil. You and I were never supposed to obtain it. But we got it. And God went, well, now to eat the tree of life, we got more gods. So kick them out, right? 
This fight's been going on ever since because God, when I've had it with you, Satan, I'm going to have a, this woman, she's going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy and he's going to kill you. This has been known from the beginning. Revelation tells us that in the heavenly realm, here's how it took place. This woman with these 12, these 12 crowns is going to give birth to this child. Well, I'm going to kill it out of the womb. I'm going to wipe it out right now. What didn't happen? God snatched him up to heaven. Do you think the fight's still going on? Of course it is. Of course it is. But I want you to see the reason that Jesus needed to point this out because this fight's been going on forever. One last verse here, Hebrews 2.14. Look at what Jesus did. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy. Listen, by Jesus' death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, right? That is the who? Come on, say it. The devil holds your death sentence in his hand. You want to know how to get out of your death sentence? Pay the devil off. Right? Do you know why Chase gets your money every month? Because they hold your what? They hold your mortgage or your debt. Right? Do you know why you pay SunTrust for your car every month? Because they hold the what? Debt. They hold the debt. Satan holds your your death, your debt in his hands. Guess what Jesus did? He destroyed him. He destroyed him. He destroyed the guy who held your debt and freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of what? We don't have to fear it anymore because of what Jesus did. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead in your sins and your uncircumcision of your sinful nature. So we're dead in our behavior because the knowledge of good and evil has led us to the knowledge of evil. And eventually everybody with the knowledge of evil does what? Come on, say evil. Everybody on this side of the room, you get that? Right. The knowledge of good and evil. How many of you have done evil at least once? Okay, not all of you. We need to have a conversation, right? And guess what? The minute you do evil... You're dead in your trespasses and sin. Look what God did. God made you alive with who? Jesus. Because He for, and God forgave us all of our sins, having canceled them. So here's where it took place. God canceled. So Jesus destroyed him. How? He canceled the written code or the written mortgage, the written debt with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. How? He took it away and he nailed it Where? To the cross. There's two. There's Satan and there's God. There's the people who follow Satan, who want to who, who want to implement his desires in all of these false religions that keep us bondage, and there's Jesus, who wants to do what God's asked him to do, and God will glorify him in it, and in that he will set us free by his death. You get that, right? Jesus had one goal when he came to earth. Do you know what it is? Come on, say it. No. Jesus had one goal when he came to earth. To die. To die. That's it. It wasn't complicated. Now, along the way, he did a lot of cool things. But he had one goal. And after the walking on the water and the feeding of 5,000, Jesus' focus becomes dead set on Jerusalem. I got one goal. And that's to get to Jerusalem to die. That's it. And listen, that fight that he's got to fight along the way is a fight against a liar. It's a fight for truth. You get that, right? Jesus had to fight for truth. 
because his enemy isn't just a liar, but the father of lies. And in the midst of all of that, he makes these unbelievable promises that we can be saved if we believe in Jesus. John 11, 25 and 26. This is no longer a conversation I'm preaching, right? Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me, if you live right now online in here and believe in Jesus, can I get an amen? Right? Here's what he said. You will never what? You're not going to see death. Right? Is it going to happen? Yes, physically. Are you going to see it? No, because we're promised that. Right? Listen to this verse in John chapter 6 and verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 27, the writer says this, Unlike the other high priest, Jesus doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day or every day, first for His own sins and then for the sins of the people. Why? Because He sacrificed he sacrificed for their sins. How many times? Once. For how many sins? All when he offered himself. Jesus didn't just die. He died once and he covered how much of your sins? Meaning he covered every penalty of every sin you've ever committed. And he only had to die once to do it. Can I get an amen? Right? That's what Jesus does. Right? He did it once and it covers them all. Right? How about this one in, in, oh, shut up. Right? How about this one in, in, in Hebrews 9, 12 and 15? Jesus didn't enter the holy place by means of the blood of goats and of calves, but he entered the most holy place. How many times? Once for all, for all, all people, all sins by his own blood, having obtained the eternal payment. Redemption means to buy back. Right? So he went in to the holy of holies of God's presence and went, I got it. I've got the check to cover the entire debt for the entire world. And I only got to pay it once and it covers it forever. Good deal, right? Here's what it says. For this reason, Christ is the mediator, right? He's the person that communicates the new covenant, Right? That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom, again a price, to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And then listen to verses 24 through 28. These are awesome. For Christ didn't enter a man-made sexuary. That was only a copy. Listen, Jesus didn't go into any church. He didn't go into any temple. Because those are just man-made copies of what's in heaven. The reality that we ain't seen yet. He says that he entered heaven itself now to appear for who? Come on, say it. No, no, no. Say me. Jesus went to heaven with your name on his lips. He knew you. He knew your story. He knows your debt. He knows what caused it. And he went there anyway. Us is plural and includes who? Includes your neighbor, includes your worst enemy, includes your ex-husband, includes your ex-wife, right? It includes your boss, it includes your co-workers, it includes your ex-boyfriend and your ex-girlfriend, it includes everybody. Us is inclusive, it's for everybody, right? And guess what? Jesus went with that knowledge into heaven, right? 
bring that verse back up again, Dave. He entered heaven now to appear for us in God's presence. Look what he does. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself. He's not here to go, listen, I'm going to just stay here and I'm just going to keep paying. Oh, Cord did this again. Well, here's another 10 bucks. Well, here's another 10 bucks. Here's another. No, 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 no. He didn't do that. He paid once. So the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Christ would have had to suffer. How many sins have you committed in your life? You have any idea? I mean, I look at some of you and I can start counting. I'm kidding. I know. I Listen, I know you're looking at me going, well, I can count for you too, right? Right? If Jesus had to pay your debt every time you sin, how many times would he had to pay? And multiply that across the billions of people that have been born into this, into this world. No, no, no. He's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment... So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. It means Jesus was sacrificed once to face judgment. For who? Everybody say me. He faced judgment for you. Because Jesus didn't sin. So whose sin did he face judgment for? The one that made him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? He faced it for you. And it says... And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to, listen to this, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Here's my, here's my challenge. I think Jesus and us have different purposes. I think Jesus' purpose Well, I know Jesus' purpose was to die. But I also know that Jesus had an enemy that you don't have. Jesus' enemy was Satan himself. Because in Genesis 3.15, God said, here's the deal. Satan and Jesus meet each other. You're going to be enemies. Satan, I'm bringing this boy around. And you guys are going to go at it. And he's going to kill you. And you're going to hurt him. But you two... Are at war together. We didn't even talk about the temptation of Jesus. Where Jesus cried out. Get you know, get away from me. Or when Jesus told Peter. Get behind me Satan. Right? It's a constant. Constant throughout scripture. Even in the prophets in Zechariah. Where Satan is rebuked in a prophecy. That Jesus is speaking. It's been that way forever. Because that's his enemy. And he had to fight for something. You ain't got to fight for. And neither do I. Jesus had to fight for truth. Jesus had to fight for truth because his enemy was a what? He was a liar. We spend a lot of time in our world today saying that the Christian job is to, stay, is to fight for truth. I ain't, I ain't buying it. You know what our job is? To stand for truth. And there is a huge difference between fighting and standing, right? Listen, if you don't know the difference between fighting and standing, you've never had a good fight with your spouse about what you think is right and what she thinks happened, Right? Because when you, listen, I've counseled people for 30 plus years. And the hardest people in the world to counsel, the people come in and they tell the same story, but they both tell completely different versions of it. Right? The people that are easy to counsel are the people come in and tell the same story and tell the same version and are just mad about what the other person did. Those are easy. 
The ones that come in and go, well, this happened. And the other person comes in with the same story and says, well, no, 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 this happened. That's a problem, right? You ever try to convince somebody when you know you're right and they tell you they're not? You ever try to convince them that they're wrong? Anybody ever do that? Come on, how's that go? I tell you how it goes. It's intellectual, then it's emotional, then it's personal, and somebody's getting arrested, right? <laughs> that stuff happens all the time. Listen, here, here's, here's, here's what I know. We read a verse that says that Jesus is coming back to bring salvation to people who are waiting for him. We're never, ever, 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 ever going to get people ready to wait for Jesus if we think our job is to fight for truth. Truth doesn't need you to fight for it. It needs you to stand for it. It needs you and I to do things like this. Listen, I got a couple of verses. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly, right, handles the word of truth. That's my mantra. Every time I went, I go to teach, right? I go to preach and God's always good at putting people in my classes or in my space. That always makes me know I've got to rightly divide the word of truth because they got their phone. They got their iPad. They got their Bible. They got history. And they're looking at me going, are you sure that's right? Are you sure that's right? I love those people because it reminds me my job is to rightly handle the word of truth. That's my job, right? There are those people. My mom was that person in my life. God rest her soul. I'm glad she's gone, right? No, I'm just kidding, right? (laughs) Listen, that's my job with truth. Got it? My job, your job is to rightly handle it, correctly handle it, right? He says this in 1 John 3, 18, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and what? In not with truth, in truth. Right? Listen, when you act in truth, out of truth, it's a totally different thing than acting with truth. Because listen, when you walk in and you know you've got the truth, man, you're arrogant, you're confident, I got it. But when you know you've got it and you don't have to flaunt it and you act out of that knowledge, it's a whole different thing. He says this, dear children, let us not bring that, bring that next verse back up. The, the, the next one, Ephesians six fourteen. stand firm then with the belt of what? truth. And what do you do with it? You buckle it around your what? You don't take it off and whip people with it. It's designed to stay on you. Why? Because it's got a lot of stuff that needs to be held up for your benefit. It's not a weapon, right? It's a belt, right? He says this, bring that, go to the next verse. Instead, we should speak the truth in what? In love. We should speak the truth in love. Listen, I think we've got it wrong. And I think we're losing people because of it. Jesus had a different fight. You know what the Bible tells us to do with Satan? Flee. Flee. The Bible says flee the devil, right? Resist him, right? Resist him. And he will what? Flee. We're not, we're, we're not, we don't have to fight Satan. You want to know why? Because he's already been defeated. Right? Jesus crushed him. And he embarrassed him by putting my, listen to this. He took, he took your debt and he took my debt and he made a public spectacle of him and he nailed it on the cross going, look at that. It's over. Satan isn't your enemy. He's a liar. 
And he's not trying to fight you. He's trying to be God. Our job is different than Jesus. Jesus had his focus on Jerusalem to die so that we could be set free. Can I get an amen? Our job is to tell people the story of that redemption. We don't have to beat people over the head with this. This is a roadmap to Jesus. Should we stand firm in it? Absolutely. But should we be fighting our neighbors and a nation that doesn't buy it? No. Do you know why people don't buy the truth? Because the Bible says the God of this age has blinded their mind and their heart. Do you know who gives sight to the blind? Give me his name. Jesus. Not cord. Doesn't work that way. You want to know how to get people set free from their sin? The Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. Not cord. You can insert your name there. We spend so much time wanting to argue with people. we got to fight for the truth. The truth's already been fought for. And it's already won. You don't have to worry about whether truth needs another defender. It needs a person to stand and speak out of love about it. Right? I mean, I had the kind of sister who used to say to me, Listen, I'm just being real with you. You know what that meant? She was a total jerk when she told me what was wrong with me, right? Listen, you can be honest... And still be a jerk and lose every import of every right thing you ever said because your attitude stunk. I didn't believe that for years because I thought as long as you had the knowledge and were truthful, then you always won. I was wrong. Do you know what wins? Love wins. Love wins because in Jesus's world, that fight for truth happened. Now he tells us as ambassadors of Jesus, I want you to beg people To beg people to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's the fight the church should be fighting. Not the one for truth. And the only way anybody's ever going to believe this isn't because you use it as a weapon. It's because you live it with love and grace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. That's how people who you, because listen, the world we live in makes me crazy. I hate what's happening to our country. I hate it more than I've ever told a soul. And if you tell anybody I said that tonight, I'm going to be disappointed, right? I hate it. But you know what? There were people before things got this way that hated the country we li- they lived in. And we didn't have much tolerance for that. And so now all of a sudden it's like many Christian people are standing up and now we got to fight for truth. No, we don't. You know what we got to do? We got to speak the truth in love. We got to, we got to, we, we've got to tell the story of Jesus to people who don't know it so that they can know the truth and the truth can set them free. That's the job of the church. I am. 100% convinced that the mission that Jesus had is different than the mission that the church has. Jesus fought the fight for truth. God told him in the beginning, you're going to fight Satan, right? And you're going to win. And that fight was about truth. It was about sides. And he crushed him, crushed him. And now our job is to tell people about that victory and what that means. Jesus did it once. He walked into heaven with your name on his lips and said, I got this covered once, pays all the debt. That's the only truth we should be telling people on a daily basis. 
When God calls us to stand, we stand firm. He doesn't give us a right to talk the way we want to, act the way we want to. There are people today who are simply blinded, blinded by the devil whose desire is to keep people away from that truth. You're never going to get them if you beat them over the head with the truth. But I guarantee you, you can get them if they see Jesus and what you say and what you do. Here's the last passage I want to read and then we're going to pray and get out of here. First Peter, I think there's one there. First Peter chapter 3. I shared this verse before. I think it's just awesome and so profound. He says, finally, all of you, you guys can stand. Let's read this together and then we'll just pray that way. If you keep sitting, I'm going to keep preaching, right? So he says, finally, all of you, listen to this. Finally, these are persecuted people with a chip on their shoulder for what they've been through. And he says, finally, all of you live in what? Harmony with one another, right? Live at peace. Be sympathetic. Be sympathetic and love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for doing what's right, it's not the same as truth. Doing what's right. He says, you are blessed. Don't fear what they fear. And do not be frightened, but in your hearts, set apart Jesus as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's not the same thing as fighting for truth. He says, but do this with what? Gentleness and respect. Listen, our job is different, Jesus. Our fight's different. Our story's different. And the church's job, we ain't got to fight for truth. We got to stand for it and we got to act out of it. But we got a different story to tell. Jesus had to go to Jerusalem. Jesus told us to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. Why? Because we've got to tell Jesus' story. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, thank you for. Thank you for. Thank you for the book that you've preserved for all these years for us to learn your story. How profound a story it is. And one that we are so privileged and honored to, to be a part of and to understand. And thank you for your, your warrior. Thank you for Jesus who, who took up the fight for truth. Who stepped into a world that was broken and blinded. And clearly communicated the two teams and the two sides and the two characteristics of of truth and lie. And I'm so grateful that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. So when he got to Jerusalem, he could die for us and not for himself. 
My prayer is that you would make us a people who tell that story. That we would stop fighting the wrong fight. So that flesh and blood will stop being our enemy. And that we can tell them the reason that we have hope in Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. God bless you, church.